1: Hi, folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, December 14th, 2021, and this is episode 3001 uh, of the Survival Podcast. I got a lot of great wishes by email, comments, comments. Uh, all kinds of things yesterday congratulating me on 3,000 episodes. I thank you all who did that. Today we're going to continue on with our journey as we have done for almost 14 years now. Uh, today's episode is called We Are in the Middle of a Collapse, and that is good. And it's probably going to go in a way that you wouldn't think when you hear that. Um, and if you read the, uh, the graphic that goes with today's episode or the thumbnail for the video... Uh, which is a quote that is, everything that has the beginning has an ending. Make your peace with that and all will be well. Uh, We're still going to go in a different direction, I think, than than you would think from that as well. We're going to go through and we're going to talk about how we got where we are, how this is nothing that is unusual, that this is what society has done over and over again. The reason that it's actually good that it's falling apart and the opportunity that presents. So we're going to go through things like Pornell's iron law, bureaucracy, and how that applies to the eventual death and the loss of trust in all the institutions that that run our society and serve our society today. Uh, what means one, once that faith is broken and that trust is lost, what the next step is. And there's a lot of interaction with the live feed audience today that I think will contribute a lot to the conversation, even for those of you listening to the audio portion of the podcast only. With that, before we dig into this, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is KnifeKits.com. Hey, one of the solutions to some of these problems is a side hustle, building your own business. That can start with just step one, gain a new skill, how to make a knife. Those skills can then translate into other things. Maybe knife-making doesn't become your side hustle, doesn't become your business. Maybe it does. It's just a place to start. It's also a place where you can be creating family heirlooms with your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. KnifeKits.com makes it easy, and they even do a discount for members of the MSB. Check them out at KnifeKits.com. Next up, the Free State Project. We're going to talk quite a bit about liberty and freedom today, and I do know where there's a group of individuals that are working to drag a single state kicking and screaming against its will into the light of liberty, whether it wants to go there or not. They're called the Free State Project, and the state is New Hampshire. You can learn more of them by going to fsp.org. And if you want to take a really cool vacation when you're learning more, go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. I have been supporting the Free State Project since my second year doing this podcast, that's all the way back to 2009, I will always support them even though I choose to live in Texas. You should consider doing so too and figure out if you want to be part of what they're doing or you just want to support their work by sharing their information or financially or however you want to do it because as I've been saying from the very beginning when I started working with Free State Project... Liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere because liberty is a light and light is what destroys the darkness of tyranny. With that, let's go ahead and dig on into this, which you're about to hear was all done in a live stream on YouTube. If you'd like to be able to start participating in these live streams, follow me on social media. The way that you're most likely to get an alert and not miss it... Get on the Telegram channel if you don't want to be on the group where all the conversations are. If you just want announcements from me, generally speaking, somewhere between an hour to two hours, sometimes even 30 minutes, but somewhere in there, I'll send out an alert. Hey, I'm going to be live streaming. That way you'll know. And if you're on the email list, a lot of times I tell you a day before, you can always go and hit the reminder service from YouTube so that they'll send you a reminder. With that, here we go. Let's talk about the fact that we are already in the middle of Collapse. It's not a collapse that's coming, it's a collapse that's here, but there is good in that. Well, hello there folks on uh, YouTube and Float. We are live, and uh, we're going to have a great episode today. And I wanted to start out with just a couple little housekeeping items, uh, just a few seconds of that. that will help people that are coming in on the live stream uh, get in before we get into the deep topics. But number one, if you think I'm kind of in here with uh, this hoodie, because the wife's got the house cold as hell today... Uh, this came from John Willits over at SOE Tactical Gear. I need to do a quick review on this, maybe just a four or five minute review. It said this is a badass hoodie. Uh, I'll try to remember to get a link in the uh, podcast notes, which you'll be able to find a link over to those in the video notes here once I get the audio uh, only version up. But this is pretty cool. Another example of John, uh, just always reaching out and, uh, and doing a lot with us and, uh, uh, Helping out, So, a little error message there that's what got me distracted for a second. Apparently, we're having some difficulties streaming over the float right now, uh, but that's why I'm over there. I see myself there, so it seems to be working, but that's why we still use uh, YouTube as part of our streaming. It's a more reliable one, and most people tend to watch on there. Uh, we'll talk about not using some of these legacy platforms like YouTube uh, in our subject today. The other thing I wanted to say real quick, though... Um, as I have previously announced, I will be uh, a speaker, uh, in fact, I believe they're marketing me as a keynote, uh, at uh, uh the Friday, which will be the last day of the event, I'll be speaking, but I won't be there. I'll be actually right here, but out in my studio, and um, I am running an event for that. It's going to be a very small, intimate event, uh, 20 attendees, uh, we're pretty much settled in on it's going to cost 500 bucks. Uh, more info will be coming on this week if you want to travel here and hang out with us. We're going to make it like a watch party. I'm going to have a group to present to then instead of just presenting to a screen. Uh, so you'll see my presentation live. It'll be the only way you can see it live. Uh, even the people that go to Anarchapulco will see it uh, virtually. And uh, we'll also be picking and choosing the sessions we want to watch as a group and discussing them and doing some other cool stuff. And the food is going to be off the hook because with that small of a group, I can kind of Up in a notch. We're thinking like one day, just example for breakfast, doing steak and eggs with uh, Bloody Mary's, just to give you an idea. It'll be two two days with some really cool people, and again, a very small, intimate group compared to normal things, so just wanted to prime the pump with that. All right, so more info will come on that probably tomorrow in a blog post, and uh, it will probably be that we let the tickets go on sale uh, probably the first Saturday after I come back in January in my head right now is anyway what we'll, we'll do that first come first serve. All right, let's dig into what we want to talk about today. So I had another one of these days where I wake up and I go, "Shit, you don't have an interview. It's not expert counsel. It's not out back with Jack, dude. You got to come up with a subject." And I've been doing this uh, this thing I call "Contemplations of a Redneck Hippie Duck Farmer." where I've been looking at things from a noetic science and somewhat of a spiritual, and definitely from a uh, quantum physics level. Yes, I do stuff like that. And I had my mind in a certain place, but I really didn't want to do a podcast quite like that. That's so why I'm doing these little snippets, and the best way to get those now is on Float, and I'll have a link in the podcast notes if you follow the link over to the audio subject later on once I get that up. Um, But on that, I was also thinking about the concept of death and rebirth, and that was actually, in a way, what today's uh, contemplations of a redneck duck farmer were about. It was about the concept that we are literally made up of elements from the stars, and that when stars explode, the elements that they don't produce in and of themselves through things like their explosion or the creation of black holes or uh, quasars, etc., those other uh, heavier, certain specific rare elements are produced, and that's where all the things that we know of came from. They were literally cooked in the stars, and then those stars become us. And it's you know most likely, Carl Sagan said, the, uh, the, the, the matter in your, your right hand that came from a star, it's probably different came from a different star that was matter that's in your in, in your left hand, right? So it was actually the fact that we are actually made up of many parts of many stars. That's where all these elements uh, come from. And that eventually our star would explode and then that process would repeat and even the the, the elements in our very bodies would be distributed out through the universe and reconstituted into something else somewhere else. And it's good to think that way. And that had me thinking about the concept of death and rebirth. But again I didn't want to go that deep Today, I wanted to do something a little bit more practical, and it, it made me to start to think about my conversation that I had with Foster Gamble uh, when I was his guest for his members' uh, discussion group uh, this weekend. He asked me, how do we prepare for what's coming? And my response was, why don't we take a step back, Foster, and, and stop thinking that way? And it's because we, we, we don't realize that... It's already happening. We're already in the middle of it. This idea that society would eventually fall apart and break down and a concept that we in the prepper community often refer to as the shit hit the fan... We 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 always think of that as like a future thing, and we think it will look like some sort of prepper porn novel when it happens. That there'll be immediately some sort of massive breakdown, zombie plague, or a total economic collapse, and people set everything on fire all at the same time everywhere, and you know something like that, or some nuclear holocaust. And we we fail to realize that this process is an ongoing, ever happening process of societies build up. To a certain size, they become outdated, antiquated, and then they, the biggest thing that happens is that the people that are part of them, that are, that are governed by them, and served by them, lose trust in them, and then they, like, they become a cancer. And then the only way to deal with the cancer is some sort of eradication of the cancer. We can't coexist with the cancer, so those institutions, they die. And then they're reborn. And and sometimes it's a very bloody thing, and sometimes it doesn't quite look that way. Sometimes it's more like the Dark Ages and the Age of Enlightenment or something like that. Sometimes it's more of a, a global scale war. Sometimes it is it is many different things. But this is an ongoing cycle, just like the cycle of a star is born, it lives, it explodes. It releases all of its creations through uh, that nuclear chamber that that builds the elements as we understand them. Uh, They drift, and this goes on for eons and eons. And then in our world, that seems like a forever. And in the universal timescale, that's like this. Uh, The the birth and death of a star is like that at universal timescale. And the rise and fall of civilizations, when we measure at a universal timescale, is a fraction, of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a nanosecond but it seems like a long time to us and because of that we always tend to see ourselves somewhere in the cycle but not at the the end but yet we are living right now in the end cycle of this cycle of the institutions and it's it's very very obvious it's very very obvious if you put the litmus test at Where's the trust level at? And I don't just mean in this group. I mean, li- literally, as, as a society, where do you think society's trust level is in these institutions? And I'm, I'm, I know that some of you are going to say, well, like, half don't and then half completely do. The left does and the right doesn't know. No, no, no. We'll talk about that false dichotomy and how that props this up for a time, how we've been living on that life support for about 30 years now, at least. In this particular cycle, and how that's even eroding and falling away. Um, what this is a lot like for those of you that are my fellow sci-fi nerds, right? And you watch like Star Trek or something. Uh, and this this concept that physicists theorize and then sci-fi takes and, and, and turns into some sort of you know play on reality. Um, what if we could? Is that if you were in some sort of a spacecraft, and you were approaching a black hole that was going to suck you into oblivion and then essentially recycle you? We don't fully understand black holes at all yet, but we, we do know that everything has a cycle and that going in and never coming out doesn't actually make sense. That at some point, even that black hole must die, uh, maybe attract other matter, rekindle, restart, explode, whatever. That, but if, if you were in that cycle and you had crossed that event horizon where there was no going back, there was no escape, you wouldn't even know it. The, the process of being pulled apart, split apart, atom by atom, and sucked down into that system is so slow at our mental timescale that it would be a very slow process that would look very quick from above, but while you were in it it would seem very, very slow until you were just gone. And that's how I feel that this is happening. And that's why people are looking at it and their their attention is being drawn to all sorts of distractions. You know, is is Putin going to invade the Ukraine? Oh, probably not. Um, does the US have any interest in in, in really going to war with Russia over Ukraine? No. And I say that as a, as a Ukrainian, by the way, as a, as a second generation Ukrainian. Uh, no, the United States does not have any business or uh, vested interest in, in risking world war over that. And we're probably not going to even with the potato in chief in charge. But boy, let's have something to look at. Let's have, let's have a dog whistle to pay attention to instead of looking at what's right in front of us and what's happening now. And this really is about the death of trust The death of trust in, and when I say that, I mean in these institutions. So we're going to go through, I think it's like 12 institutions. Uh, Some are government institutions, some are private institutions. Many of them are overlapped with each other, and many are private and government overlapped. We know what that is, boys and girls, right? We call that fascism. But almost all trust is dead. Almost all trust is dead. And that's how we know we're done. That's how we know we've gone over the event horizon. That all of these industries must now die and be reborn into something. And you notice in the title I said that it's good that we're in this time. And there's a couple reasons that it's good. Number one, it is cancer. It's cancer. And it's good that cancers die. And sometimes when cancers die, the people with the cancer die with the cancer. I'm not going to say everybody will make it through Right? but in the end the cancer has to die and this is a cancer of society this is a cancer of society we have we have allowed these things to atrophy so far that we are now going to watch them die we're going to be present during the death and renewal process and so that needs to happen so it's good that it happened least it continue much longer and kill everything and take everything with it The other reason that it's good, though, is because we get to be among the generations. Everybody talk about the generation. No, there's multiple generations alive at any one time. And as I've been teaching for a very, very long time, the way you know if your mission on Earth is over is if you can still fog a mirror, it's not. So everybody from boomers to Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever you want to call them, and then, even the next generation, because this is a, we're slowly going over this event, right? All of us get to have some say in how these new systems are rebuilt. In how, as something dies to be replaced, we get a say. And we get a say by the very fact that we're here, not because everything's democratic and we're all going to have some sort of utopia, but we get to partake in shaping the new system which if we look at it through the lens of history, we need to be at peace with this. Whatever we do, even if it's the best that's ever been done, it will eventually atrophy and it will do this again and we'll be long gone. But there will be generations between now and then that will have no say on the systems that they're born into. Much as you were born into a system that was already laid out, but you lived long enough to be there at the end of it, but you had no say in the systems you came up in. And you watched them die. And there was good and bad in all of them. But for for, for for these generations that are here now, we get to have some say. We get to have some attempt to reach into the next sculpture and at least decide one little pick that comes off the marble. And I think that's good. I, I, I am grateful that I am here. That I am here. And before we can go into these institutions, I need to explain how this is happening from a very simple standpoint. And I'm going to actually, I don't generally read from any kind of script, but when I I quote somebody, I want to quote them accurately. And there was uh, a really cool thinker and philosopher, modern philosopher, who who passed away very, very recently, uh, named Jerry Pornell. And he's probably most famous, and I think this is his best work ever, and it's only a couple paragraphs. Pornell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy. And it states that in any bureaucratic organization, there will be two kinds of people. First, there will be those who are devoted to the goals of the organization. Examples are dedicated classroom teachers in an educational bureaucracy, many of the engineers and launch technicians and scientists at NASA, and even some of the agricultural scientists and advisors in the former Soviet Union Collective Farming Administration. Secondly, there will be those dedicated to the organization itself. Examples are many of the administrators in the education system, many professors of education, many teachers union officials, much of the NASA headquarters staff, etc. The iron law states that in every case, the second group will gain and keep control of the organization. It will write the rules and control the promotions within the organization. That is 100% accurate. And it can only in time lead one place, the death of the institutions themselves. And I think as we go through this today, if you, if you turn on your pattern recognition and you seek to recognize this pattern, that the iron law of bureaucracy does apply to the media, the tech industry, medical and pharmaceutical, political processes, uh, the food industry, financial system, and we'll just keep going from there. These are some that we're going to cover today. If you look at it from that standpoint, did the Iron Law happen here? Did we go from a media that was at least on some level trying to seek the truth to a point where the journalist in the field has no real say on how they report what they report? Did that happen in journalism? Yes or no? I'd love to see it in the chat right now. You tell me yes or no, if you can see the pattern of the Iron Law in the field of journalism, that the people that controlled the institution ended up with total control to where the people that actually sought to do the noble work of the institution no longer really have a say. Okay, And if you do that, kind of jumping ahead to one of the industries here, you will not be able to do that forever. There will come a time when you realize if you look at that institution, that institution cannot exist in perpetuity to serve only itself or only its clients, which would be, in this case, for instance, one client would be government. One client might, and all this is interacting with each other, right? A a client of the current media is the pharmaceutical industry. Number one advertising dollars that go into the news media is pharmaceutical money, right? So you can only serve yourself and your clients for so long, before the real body that you're supposed to be serving, in this case the general public, you will break faith with them. Sooner or later, no matter how good you are at the con, the con and the facade around it will begin to crumble, and you will break faith. And when you break faith, you will lose trust, and when you lose trust, you're dead. And there's only one way that once you've done that, you can for a short time, and again, short time to be 30 years of human life in a cycle of this size is that. So maybe for 20, 30, 40 years, you can prop up that, that lack of, of trust and faith that you have with your true group that you're supposed to be serving with political tribalism and the false dichotomy. We're telling you the truth The other side's telling you a lie, and all the people that believe the other side are your enemy, they're the dum-dums. They're they're either bad people or stupid people. If you're on the right, the leftist is stupid and bad. And if you're on the left, the right-wing person is stupid and bad. And we'll create a media entity or group of media entities for both of them, and then we'll prop it up with political tribalism, but eventually even that will begin to fall apart so let's take a look at some of these right now let's start off with the media and as I'm doing this I am going to be asking some questions in the chat and uh, it's kind of fill in the blank as far as my questions I have scrolling across the screen we're talking about the media now so the, the current scrolling question applies to the media um, and I mean all of it all of the media including a lot of media that claims to be alternative media, new media, etc. I am not really talking about platforms yet. We're going to go to them next. They're very connected, so the Facebooks, the Twitters, I'm not on there yet. I'm just on the source of the data versus the platform broadcasting the data. I believe that no one in America with an IQ over 85 right now trusts the media. Even the ones that think they do, they don't. They're in that, they're still being propped up to some level with that dichotomy. You either watch CNN or you watch Fox News. And then that could be a metaphor. Maybe you don't watch either, but you are choosing your your news media from the right side or the left side. And you're doing that because you can't let go of the world you were conditioned and trained to be part of. It is important to get news from a news media journalistic source. Well there aren't any. There's none. They're all dead already. They're already gone. And you know it. But since the lies are more obvious when they are counter to your general political ideology, you, you choose to cling to the ones that are closer to your general political ideology. That explains why we even have a political bent in what's supposed to be media and news. Right? How many of you have watched watched some sort of a TV show, and something creeps into it that looks like wokeism, and it turns you completely off, and then you realize, oh, oh, oh wait a minute, this thing's thirty, years, this 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 TV show or this thing is like thirty years old, and. I'm just actually now, I'm, I'm dog whistle responding to something. That's that's not even why it's there. It was just something that happened. Right? It was just something that happened. Here's an example. I was recently watching a TV show, and it's called Houses with History. It's really cool. Because media here, I'm not just about news. I'm talking about movies, television program. I'm talking about all of it. Right? So I'm watching the show, and it's like this history geek, and it's like a cool, like, carpenter that can do any kind of fabrication and, and the other guy's wife and they all they, they go to these houses in New England are like made the sixteen and seventeen hundreds and they restore them. And the guy sitting there, the one the one guy and he's ripping apart the walls and he's wearing a mask that looks like a surgical mask with a respirator on each side, but it's not one of the big ones. It's a simple little cloth mask with these little respirators in it, right? And of course what do I think? Immediate and I know better. I think mask tard, right? He's a tard. He's not a mass tard. He's keeping dust from getting down his throat while he's ripping apart a house that's 100 years old and who knows what the hell's in that wall. And when I looked up when that episode was produced, it was produced in 2018. So it had absolutely nothing to do with mass tardism, But this is what, even when you're aware of it, this is how this gets into you. And it's how you know you don't trust media. Even if you think you still do, you don't. And that's why it's all falling apart. It's all going to die. So I want you to, for a moment, start to think a little bit different. What do you think the biggest individual action we can take is to deal with the fact that we don't trust media anymore and to create a solution to it? You know, I actually think there is value in people being able to find out what's going on and get just the facts about it so that they can form a legitimate, informed opinion. So how do we restore the ability to do that in info media? So what we normally think of as news. How do we restore the ability to do that with entertainment media? All right. My wife must have kicked the air conditioner off. It's getting a bit hot in here. How do we do that? How do we get to the point where we actually can have again A system that entertains, educates, and informs. What do we do to make that happen? And I think a lot of that is already being done. I think in in almost every aspect that we're going to talk about today, somebody's already doing it. I'm creating infotainment right now. What I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm currently directly talking to at least 130 people right now based on all my screens combined. And then this will go out in an audio. Uh float died. I'm not sure what's going on over there. But uh, this will go out in an audio podcast, and that audio podcast is gonna reach over two hundred thousand people in the next couple days. This was never possible before. Now we still have some platform issues, we'll get to that in a second. But we we now have the the, the capability to do things with video editing in a software package, the whole package is a thousand bucks and one feature in that package. 30 years ago was a piece of equipment that was $50,000. We can create our own information. I think that's one answer. And I'm only going to try to come up with one answer today. But I'll give you some of the stuff people are saying. Uh, stop feeding their sponsors. Uh, we'll get to Big Pharma, but yeah. Um, th- th- that's that's absolutely one of the things we can do is stop, stop listening to them. Um, in fact probably the easiest one that we can defeat is media because media is a is a is a leech it's a leech it's a tick it lives off our blood okay it sucks our blood and that's a metaphor it it is it goes to our life force through our attention so what would happen if you had a leech on your arm and instead of removing it you injected something right where the mouth part was attached to your arm that basically closed off the leech's mouth, and it could no longer get blood from you, but it was still stuck to you. What would happen? It would eventually have to let go. And if it couldn't find another host, it would die. And, and that's the off button on the remote control, guys. So, so we'll let media go for now. Let's talk about the tech industry. And as I said, many of these are very, very interconnected. And so I'm asking the live audience again now, how much do you trust the tech industry? And when I talk about the tech industry, I'm talking about the, the the wireless carrier that you have that you make phone calls and do text messages across. I'm talking about the people that build the phone itself. I'm talking about Apple. I'm talking about all the phone companies that make phones and accessories. I'm talking about the, the Amazon platform, the Alexa, I'm talking about Facebook, I'm talking about Twitter, I'm talking about ScrewTube that I'm on broadcasting to you right now. Like, how much do you trust these entities? And the truth is, nobody trusts them. Even the people that the, 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 the people on the right or more in the anarcho space refer to as libtards, they don't trust them either. And you might be like, Jack, of course they do. Look how much they love. No. They know it's bullshit, it's just bullshit on their side, and again, the false dichotomy is holding it up for now. But even the, the most um, devout Bidenite, right, knows that Facebook is tracking them and recording and selling their data, and they don't like it. But they can't see a way around it. They can't see a solution. They're addicted to it. And when it comes to something like Facebook and Twitter, they literally are addicted to it because the algorithm is designed to be addictive. But it's not just like, you cannot be on Facebook. You cannot be on Twitter. But if you're using a phone, right, then you still are in their tech system. And I don't pretend to have all the solutions right now, but I'm interested, as as I continue with my thoughts on this, let's shift on this particular issue in this industry, what's the biggest individual actions that we can take to correct this problem of the fact that the tech industry no longer has our trust, nor should they, and it needs to be replaced with something because I don't want to live in a world where I can't communicate with you guys. I don't want to live in a world where I can't communicate all the way around the the, the, you know the the world with family that we still have in Europe. I love that I can take a picture and send it to them, and they can see it, and they can send me pictures of what's going on in their world, and we can share that information. If we didn't have that right now, the the uh, the COVID's tyranny we are under would be worse. Because don't think that Americans observing what's going on in places like Austria, Germany, and Australia doesn't have some level of impact on our willingness to resist what's going on here. The, the, if, if we didn't have that interconnectivity, the, the likelihood of having global wars is higher. It's a lot harder to convince you that person way over there is dangerous and hates you and wants to kill you when you can communicate with them 24-7, 365. See that they're a real person just like you that has the same needs, wants, desires, hopes, and dreams that you do. Right. So I don't want it all to go away. But we have to find solutions, don't we? Or that's that's the here's the here's your three choices. It, It dies, right? And we have and we lose it. It morphs into something even worse and regains total control, or we replace it. And to me, some of the things like Mark right here is saying, "De Google your phone and delete your social apps." I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think, I think honestly, I'm sitting here on YouTube right now. It'll be the last place that, that I leave of the old world. And I'll do it just like I did Facebook. I know some of you right now are watching me on Facebook. You're like, you did leave Facebook. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Check it out, guys. Yeah, I did. I don't interact. I don't have the app on my phone. I don't sully my browser with it. I just found out I could reach you on the other side of the Facebook wall and speak to you by clicking a button at StreamYard. That's why you're even seeing me. No, I'm not there. I'm not there. Honestly, at some point, maybe I won't even be on YouTube. Technically, I'm not right now. I'm sitting in a StreamYard studio with technology going out there. But when I look over here on Float, and Float gets through its beta platform, and there's more people there than there are here on YouTube, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> Buy. We build new platforms. We migrate to new platforms. And we build platforms that are designed to where either they can't break our trust or if they do, the consequences to them are immediately painful. So in their own best interest, they don't. On that note, I'm going to have Kingsley Edwards tomorrow on the Survival Podcast right here in a live stream starting at 1230 Central. And if you want to ask questions of Kingsley about stuff like this, uh, please show up and uh, do that at that time. But I think that that's another place. How about the medical and pharmaceutical industries? Um, I, I didn't want to get too long today, so I didn't... I didn't break those out um, individually um, into separate things, and I'm kind of throwing them together there, and I, I guess they kind of are a little bit separate. You have the medical industry, and you have the pharmaceutical industry, and there is some difference to them, but I I don't think we can really separate them anymore. And if you really want to hear something, go listen to um, Ken Berry's presentation that was at my workshop. It's on my channel here on YouTube. It's on my channel on Odyssey. And I think it's the the second one, Proper Human Diet Part 2, where he talks about why doctors do what they do and how literally a doctor is paid more money to see the same patient for the same amount of time by the insurance company if the patient's on more drugs. Did you get that? Do you understand how deep that is? If I go to my doctor and I'm on two drugs... His billing code for the five minutes he spends with me is one code. If I go to see my doctor and I'm on four drugs, spends the same amount of time with me, same consultation, his billing code is different and he gets more money. No shit. That's how that works. With that in place, how much do you trust the drugs and pharmaceutical companies and, 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 the, and the medical industry? And, and I think that, like... <laughs> Negative 10 of 10, James Richter says on that one, right? I mean, I give people an option of 1 to 10, folks, for those that are listening to the audio version, and people are coming up with numbers like, like, like negative 9,000. Like, 1 is not good enough for, for a lot of people here. They're not even saying 0. Like, they're not even just improvising a little bit and saying 0. 1 would indicate, so 0 to 10, and you're going to get negative 9,000, right? Negative infinity, Uh, don't trust the medical industry. Negative five billion, right? So, uh, that's what we just got from VR. VR says negative five billion. Like, no trust. Now, I, I think that is good and it's bad. Okay? It's good and it's bad. And, and here's, here's again why. I think it's good that we don't trust an industry that has broken trust. I'm not even gonna go into the COVID's part of it. But there's so much dishonesty there that it's, the, it's like that straw, that last straw, like the, the camel has a big pile of straw on his back, and surely one more, one more straw, we can put it up there, it'll be all right, and the, the camel falls. And I think that's what it was for a lot of people. And you start seeing hundreds upon hundreds of doctors being attacked, being threatened with losing their license for saying, and they're not exactly perfect, but they're speaking up, and they're silenced. And it is. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But what do we do? That's the question that's scrolling now. What do we do individually? I think one of the first things we do is we need to begin to educate ourselves on proper diet and nutrition because 80% or more of the things that people are seeing doctors for regularly in this country are directly related to their diet. And your doctor doesn't talk to you about your diet about shit except to tell you to eat more bread. Which, which we'll get into later, but it's killing Americans. It's killing Americans. The nutritional advice of the medical establishment is killing more Americans every year than, than flu and COVID and pick the next viral disease combined. Period. End of story. It's killing people. It's killing people. One more time, just in case you're still asleep on this one, it's killing people. So I think that is one of the first places that we start, is changing how we eat. I know that saved my life. And I don't think I'm being dramatic when I say that. It saved my life. I think we start to educate ourselves. Like We literally have government and and, and science coming out now and saying, do not do your own research. And I'm going to say that probably a generic answer for all of these, right? for all of them, is whatever they tell you to do, at least consider immediately doing the exact opposite. Especially when there's no risk. If they tell you not to step out in the street without looking for a car, occasionally they give you a factual statement to keep you in line. So don't knee-jerk it. But when it's something that's relatively harmless for you to do, like, I should check this medication out before I start sticking it in my mouth, you should probably do that. And doing your own research is not dangerous. Failing to do your own research is. But I think we need to be able to go to certain people who have spent you know, a huge portion of their life studying the human body and human anatomy and say, hey, hey, something's not right. Help me. And actually get help. I don't want it to completely go away. And I think I had a doctor on last week talking about direct primary care. Great step in the right direction. I think we have to stop conflating insurance with care. If you have a broken car, and got in a wreck, you take it to an auto body shop. You don't take it to your car insurance company. One is the financing, the other is the care. That conflation is dangerous and it leads to an incestuous relationship where the drug companies incentivize the doctors through the insurance companies to, to prescribe more drugs, but the insurance companies don't pay for the drugs. You do. So the doctor gets more money from the insurance company, and you pay more money for the drugs, and you wonder why they keep adding drugs to your list. And on and on it goes. And we're not going to solve these problems today. I just want to get us thinking about them. So we're going to move on to the next industry that I feel has broken trust, 100%. So now I'm asking you what your trust in this industry is. And it's really less an industry and more of a thing. The political process. What is your trust? in? And I don't mean the clowns getting together and passing laws and sending it to the president or your governor or anything. I mean the actual political process by which we elect our government officials. How much do you trust election results? And I can tell you neither side does. And this is the place where it very clearly, the false dichotomy breaks down almost instantly at this point. This is a prediction that I'm going to make about our next election. No matter who wins, the other side will say the election was rigged. Does anybody want to take action on that bet in the audience right now? Does anybody want to say, you know what, Jack, Next, next election, there won't be any major offices that trade hands where the side that loses won't claim it was rigged? And it won't matter if it's Democrats or Republicans. It won't matter. It won't matter if one side cheats more than the other side or not. What matters is, let's go all the way to 2024. Let's say somehow Brandon makes it that long, right? Let's say Brandon runs for re-election. And let's say Brandon loses to random Republican of your choice, do you not think the left is going to shriek and claim and scream that Russia once again hacked the election or some other shit like that? So we know the left doesn't trust the process, right? They only trust the process when they win, which means you, if you only trust when you win, you don't trust. So trust is dead in the political process. Now, as an anarchist, I would like to not have any sort of si- that, that system at all. I would like a stateless society, please. Being a 7th generational thinker and a pragmatist, I know I'm not getting one anytime soon and I will probably go to my grave and I will not see it. I would hope to see us moving in that direction. I'll settle for that. I can be a purist in my ideals and a pragmatist in the world. But I I, I do think if we're going to have a political process that if it is going to have any hope of not leading to more death destruction, burning a building, all of that, there has to be some level of trust in it, right? There has to be some level of trust in it for the pe- at least the people that participate in it. And I think, it, you know, stop believing what they tell you to get elected is one of the solutions being offered right now. I tried to click on that and it didn't work. Um, from Deborah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that I'm at a point now where I don't play that game anymore. But, stopping voting only works for the people who are willing to stop voting. I think it would be great if they had an election and nobody came. Nobody showed up. Because that would delegitimize the authority completely, and we'd have to build something anew. But if it's not going to happen... Is there a way... Is there any way that we could make at least make elections somewhat to the way that the average person would look at it and go, you know, I, I don't like that my side lost, but I believe that my side lost. Maybe making them publicly auditable by any, any entity that wants to audit them, period. Maybe something like blockchain. That just might be a way to do that. That just might be a way. I'm not saying it solves everything. And again, I want nothing. And Rick is saying zero, uh, zero trust in politicians. We're not talking about the politicians right now. They're coming. They're coming. We're going to get there. We're going to get to them. We're not there yet. We're talking about the elections only right now. Obviously, I don't trust any politician at all, ever, infinity. But it's one thing to not trust. It's one thing to not trust the official. It's another thing to not trust the results of the election when you're told every vote matters. Now I think that's a lie. I think it's like being a grown ass man believing in Santa Claus. I think it's a denial of mathematics. I can give you a thousand reasons that my solution of not voting works better for me. But I think if we're going to have a political process, then, then we need to have some sort of a solution for it. Next up, how about the food industry? So my question scrolling across the screen now for the live stream audience, how much do you trust the food industry? And what I'm talking about here are the people that put the food in a bag and put the bag on a shelf and tell you to eat it. The people that employ the the, 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 the scientists and the chemists who engineer the food's recipe. I'm not I'm talking about GMO right now, right? I'm talking about the guy that sits in a lab. I used to know a guy today. I, I, when I first met him, I said, what, what's your job? He said he was a chef. And I'm like, what? A chef? Like, you know, at a restaurant or something? He's like, Yeah. I'm like cool We're a restaurant. He goes, no, I don't work for 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 them, and he worked for like Frito Lay or whoever whoever makes Doritos. I think Frito Lay makes Doritos, right? That's who he worked for, and I'm like, how are you how are you a chef that works for Frito Lay? And if it wasn't Frito Lay, again, it's whoever makes you know Doritos, and I'm like, he's like, no, I formulate the recipes for you know. Different products. Like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I'm like, well, give me an example. Is there something you, you know, put your stamp on? Yeah, he goes, have you ever had Taco Bell flavored Doritos? And I'm like, I I don't believe that I have. He goes, you got to try them. They taste just like Taco Bell taco meat. I don't trust that. (laughs) I don't trust. I was very young when I met this guy. I was in my early 20s. I actually kind of thought it was a little bit neat, but I still didn't fully trust. But today, I don't trust that. Do you trust the food chemistry that is designed to make you eat more and trigger that response in you? Do you trust all the dieticians that get together and say that you're supposed to live on the food of slaves versus the food of the master? That that would be a carbohydrate-based, plant-based diet, by the way. Do you trust them? And see, here's the thing. I don't think anybody does. I don't even think the people that that spout the claim that we should be eating exactly what the doctors and the nutritionists recommend really trust the food industry. I think the people that eat the Doritos and eat the Fritos know that they're being manipulated and controlled. I think the trust is broken. And call me crazy, but I think we need a supply of food that allows civilization to continue to grow and to thrive. I think we need that. I I do. I, I, I think that we and, and I know that we can grow your own food. Do you grow all your own food? I am really good at growing food. I do not grow all my own food. I have no desire to grow all my own food. We don't live in a society that will allow us all to live as hunter-gatherers. I think the closer we can get to living dietarily, like a hunter-gatherer, the better off we will be, but we can't all go out and kill a deer every two weeks to keep meat on the table. That's not sustainable. We need a system that is designed to produce food at sufficient scale to feed, just in the United States alone, 330 million people. And so, at the individual level, I think Yes, we want to be growing our own food. We want to be forming neighborhood co-ops and things like that, dealing with local producers, spending less time at the grocery store and more time at the farmer's market. I think all those are valid, valid solutions. But larger scale solutions need to be implemented. And we already know the answer. We need a million farms like Mark Shepard's new forest farm. That's what we need. We already know the solution. We take ruminants, we put them into, into properties, we take grasses that they're supposed to eat, we put them through the ruminant, the ruminant grinds it up, puts it in a perfect package called crap, the right temperature, the right moisture level drops it, it puts carbon in the soil and more grass grows, and the soil gets deeper and the fronds of the grass get stronger and the mineral goes up and the quality of the meat goes up and we can feed the whole damn country that way. And the plant foods we need to go along with that can all be grown with that. It's called Silvopasture. We've known this. This has been practiced for thousands of years already. We already have the solution. That one we already know. We already know. And if if you have some people that want grains and stuff like that, even though I don't want it, we can grow as much of it as we need that way, and we have plenty for all. And the cost can be very affordable. But individually it all starts here. But we need to start, somebody says here, spread cities out, permaculture, uh, eco villages and neighborhoods. And I think we have to reinvent what our, our definition, if you're in the permaculture, regen ag space of like planned community, uh, or, or, you know, uh, intentional community. I think we have to redefine what that means. I think we have to go more with, the approach that like Nicole Sauce is taking to building community. said so, like let's buy a piece of land and move everybody. People don't want to do that. People generally live. Most people live where they kind of want to live. We have to start doing it where we are. I think one of the books I would definitely recommend you check out is called Retro Suburbia. Retro Suburbia. It's written uh, by David holgram co- co-founder of Permaculture. A lot of great ideas in there. Um, uh, David is a more left-leaning anarchist than me, but he's an anarchist, and I think he's got some brilliant ideas. The book is thick, it's not light reading, it's expensive, but I think it's worth it if you really want to start trying to put that together. But I think the big thing is, do you trust them? Do you trust the food industry? Do you trust Birdseye? Do you trust the KFOS? Do you trust, you know, Frito-Lay? Do you trust PepsiCo? And forget their woke politics, right? I'm talking about the food that they make. Do you trust them? Do you trust that you're supposed to eat food that if it was not processed would kill you? You don't believe me? And I don't mean max, I don't mean lots of processing. Go to a wheat field, cut the tops off the wheat, take the wheat in your hand, the heads of your wheat in your hand, roll it back and forth, get a handful of wheat and try to eat that shit. You'll choke to death on it. It'll kill you. You can't eat it the way that it comes from the field. You can't do it. It has to be processed. It has to be highly processed, even with ancient techniques of making flour. It requires a lot of steps to make it edible. You can't live on it. You try, you try to eat it raw, you won't digest it, and it'll break your freaking teeth. No, I don't trust that food source built on that lie. It was a a thing that was designed to keep us alive when we had evolved to a point as a species where we either had to do it or we had to start dying because we hadn't figured all the rest of this stuff out yet. And by the way, oh, by the way, you know, the people in power wanted a way to control everybody. Next up, how about the financial system? The financial system. How much do you trust the financial system? And by that, I'm talking about the banking system and the central banking system. Okay? I'm not even talking about investing. We'll do that next. I'm just talking about monetary creation, monetary lending, monetary control, interbank lending, um... The, the the cooperation between the Central Bank of Europe and the Central Federal Reserve of the United States and the Central Bank of Canada, and how they're deeply concerned for the people of El Salvador because El Salvador had the very nerve to make Bitcoin their legal tender, and how much they're, they're concerned for the people of El Salvador. How much do you trust that shit? Right? Do you trust it at all? And, and I, I, I don't think many people do. I don't even think the people that are deeply invested in it anymore trust it. I think that people have realized, like, gee, the the banks can't be trusted. And therefore, the central banks, which are just made up of the banks, with some of the authority of government attached to them, also cannot be trusted. So what what do you guys think the biggest individual solution we can take into dealing with not trusting the financial system is. And I think most people will come to the conclusion right now if you look at what's available, it's probably cryptocurrency. And when we start looking at like well what do banks do? They hold your money for you in a secure fashion, at least that's the claim. They lend you money that you don't have on terms where you can repay it, and they allow you to move money from from you to other people who you owe money to. What can we not do of those three primary things with cryptocurrency right now? The answer is zero. Zero. And <laughs> SHIB fixes this, that's that's great, Rick. You get you get put up on the screen for that one, right? <laughs> SHIB fix I think Bitcoin fixes this. Um but in and other crypto projects, right? I think that's like a big thing. I think the other thing is to begin to do business between people we know again is a big part of that. When I was a kid, it was very common, like, I've mentioned a few times over the years a little shop called Center Supply, it was a hardware store, before the days of Home Depot and Lowe's and that stuff, that was in downtown Minersville, and it was, it didn't look real big when you walked in, it was pretty narrow. It was about the width of like a standard row house, if you know what row houses in the Northeast are like. But it was two stories, and it went back like a bowling alley forever and you could walk in there and you could, you know I'd go in there my grandfather sent me down there with like a washer. I need 10 of these. I'd walk in and just show it to the old man that ran the ran the store and he'd look at it and go, "I know where that's at." He'd walk like like he was waiting for me to go get it. He knew where everything was. But it was very common that for instance a local contractor would get a job and if he had established a good line of credit, with Center Supply, and he needed some materials, and he needed to finish the job to get paid, and the old man that ran the store knew him and knew the customer, he'd say, your credit's good here. And he would just make a note in a freaking spiral notebook, and the guy would go get the materials, go do the job, get paid, and bring his portion back to the store owner. It wasn't even a consideration, and you think that's dead? Let me tell you how it's not dead. You start doing business with people who know you, and maybe it's not that great that I'm known this well at the local liquor store, but I was at the local liquor store about six months ago, and I had paid for something online or something like that, and so I had taken my wallet out to do that, laid it down. I went to pick up a bottle of wine or something, and I get to the store, and it's only five minutes from the house, and I'm about to pay for it, and I'm like, man, i got to go home and get my wallet. And the guy said, you'll be back. Pay for it when you come back. Didn't even think about it. He he just wrote it down. He said, this is how much you owe. Next time you come in, we'll add it to it, and and you're good. Why? Because I asked. I didn't ask. I was shocked that he did it because we knew each other. If you start doing business with people that you know again on a first-name basis, the need for the banking system itself begins to go away. Why do you think they took it away? Do you think they took it away just because... It happened randomly? Or do you think people that are this smart that leverage this much control over society know precisely what they're doing when they do it? So I don't think we trust the banking system anymore. And I don't don't think we should. And I think these are the things we need to be doing to fix it. Now, closely related to this, how much do you trust the institutions and systems installed in our country today for investing... And wealth creation. So I said it's close to financial, but it's not. Right? That's. Do you really trust that when you go to the NASDAQ and you buy an individual stock on the NASDAQ, that all the bookkeeping is right, and when they pay a dividend, you're getting the dividend you should really get? Do you trust that the stock price is really based on price discovery in the market and not manipulated through high frequency trading where people pay a little bit more money for their server to have a cable that's six inches shorter than the next server over so they can front run the trades do you do you trust that system do you trust the system is truly based on merit if you open a store and try to compete with a big brand? When the first thing you have to do is pay a litany of fees and licenses and, and, and extortion to local government, and do you think that the big brand really doesn't have anything to do with all of those things? Or, or do you think that your trust in that entire system is pretty low? I, I, I really want to know, guys. Tell me here in live chat, right? Like, how much, and, and it's a trap, it's a lottery, right? It's, it's, it's all crap. It's, it's all crap. Somebody says silver is a perfect example of a fixed market. Silver is a fixed market. There's no doubt about it. The price of silver is not based on the actual demand for silver at any given moment. It's highly manipulated through the trading of derivatives that we call futures. It's highly (laughs) manipulated. And because there's a lot more silver out there than you think there is, it's a lot easier to get away with. So... What are our solutions here? I think we're back into the world of cryptocurrency. We, we, we're going to be doing tomorrow night on Unloose the Goose a whole show on a project that can be empowered through NFTs, non fungible tokens. They're, they're not just for buying stupid pictures of dumb monkeys, you know. I mean, that's what's being done with them now. Just like Ethereum was originally used to play with Crypto Kitties, right? Or po- like Crypto Pokemons or whatever. The, 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 the first use case scenarios in these things always seems to end up being pretty dumb. Uh, we've got another zero for how much this is trust. I don't, I don't trust it at all myself, and I don't think the average person does either. I think it's why we're entering a phase where the young people of the world are, are turning to cryptocurrencies. And that's just one example, though. They don't trust the system that made their grandparents wealthy. And many of them are quite spoiled little children now, aren't they? And they do come from their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents built quite a bit of wealth, and that sent them off to Columbia University or whatever. And yet they don't trust the system that sent them to that college to get the fancy degree to come back and make the money in the system that they came out of that all the money came from. I know a lot of them seem really stupid, but that decision's not stupid. That decision's not stupid. It's a rigged game, and it, the table's tilted completely against the average person because it's supposed to be, because the iron law bureaucracy creeped, it, creeped, uh, creeped in. And do you notice how all these all these institutions are connected, and that once they become subject to the iron law bureaucracy and you have a few controlling the entire organization in a pyramid model, that all you need is the people that are at the top of the pyramid for this industry or this institution, to get in cahoots with the people at the top of the pyramid in this industry, and a few people can rig the whole game totally interconnected with each other? And call me crazy, but I think we need a way, right? I think we need a way for me and you to be able to leverage our own life force, to to leverage our money, to leverage our profit, to make more profit by empowering other people to make more profit doing things that we believe in. That's what the stock market and that's what mutual funds were originally supposed to be. That I as an investor could look over at somebody like Ford Motor Company and say, made in America and I want to see a Ford in every driveway and I believe that they're doing it right and I read their prospectus and I kind of understand it, so I'm going to take some of my money and I'm going to become an owner in the Ford Motor Company. And then Ford does their thing, and it works or it doesn't, I take the risk along with them, but if it succeeds, every quarter I get a dividend, I reinvest that back into the company until I retire, just like the CEO does on a micro scale. I'm a partner in this investment because I know it, I understand it, I believe in it, and I trust what they're doing. Now, it's dead. There's now more mutual funds of baskets of stocks than there are individual stocks. you see how everything's designed to separate you from the thing that you're actually engaged with so you don't know what it is, you don't have any feelings or knowledge about it, you just do what you're told? And I think we need to reestablish a way where we can start investing in things that we actually believe in, risk share with them, and reward along with them. I think that's part of what made America the greatest country that's ever existed on the planet. And at one time we were. Sadly, we probably still are. Think about that statement. Sadly, America probably still is the greatest country in the world. Why would it be sad? Because of how poor we are now. Because of how far we've fallen, and we're still the best. And we're still the best. Sometimes the best isn't good enough. And I don't think we're good enough here anymore. I think we can be better. And I think we're going to have to rebuild these systems of investment and wealth generation. And I think those are some of the ways we can do it. Know who you're doing business with. Do business locally. Barter when you can. Use crypto when you can. Even if you're using their money, do it your way outside of their systems of control. Get it outside of their banking systems whenever you can. How about... the the actual legislative institutions, the legislative and executive and judicial branches of government, and if you're not in the United States in your country, do you trust it? We already talked about elections. Here we're talking about once they've been elected. Do you have any... What is your trust that your congressman really has your best interest at heart in the actions that they take Carrying out their duties as a congressman. And I think if you, if you ask people this in general, they don't have any faith at all. Even if they genuinely tend to like the individual and they're gonna keep voting for the individual, they don't really believe that that individual is there for their best interest. The people that do, I think they're so far plugged into the matrix that we can't help them. But I think the, I think the average person, if you look at like congressional approval rates, I'm 50 years old this summer. I'll be 50. I'm 49 right now. I don't remember a time in my life, and I actually paid attention to politics far younger than most people. I was the kid that paid attention to politics a little bit in high school. Maybe that's why I matured through it fast enough to get out of it quicker than many do as well. But, I don't remember a time in my life where I ever heard the approval rating of the Congress was above 50%. And I think it's it's somewhere north of 20 right now. So we already know that we don't have faith in our elected officials. We don't have faith in the process that elects them, and we don't have faith in them once they're elected. Those two might be connected a little bit. But how do we change that? I think the first thing that we have to do, and this is not an individual solution, but I think as as a macro solution is, well, the total amount of power they have has to be decreased. I think creating more individual autonomy is the way to go. By all the other solutions, I think are actually the, the total counter to this one. It's much harder to control a population with, hey, you need us to fix health insurance if the population's healthy. So there's the pharmaceutical and the food and the medical all coming back to this one, right? It's it's a lot harder to convince them. You need us to provide oversight of the banking system if they're if, if people are generally operating outside of the banking system. And I I don't think you can actually restructure government directly and take away their power. I think you have to start operating outside of their system. Uh, Hopper here says, or Hopper here says, stop paying them. Well, if you mean stop paying taxes, then they come put you into prison. But I think strategically figuring out how to pay less taxes is a good thing to do, but then they just borrow more money that your great-grandchildren are going to have to pay back. You actually have to build systems that are capable of replacing the need for them. We have to build our own systems of governance. Big myth about us anarchists is we don't want governance. No, we don't want government. Life provides a lot of governance for us. Here's an example. There, I can't remember the guy's name, but Michael Saylor was talking about this guy. He's the richest man from China. The richest man in China went to France, and he went to some overlook, some beautiful overlook with a railing, and he leaned too far over. He broke the governance of gravity for one-tenth of a second flat like the coyote in a 1980s cartoon, on the ground, little poof, and gone, and dead forever. That's governance. You may not have ever thought about it that way, but that's governance. We we don't want government, but governance is something that needs to be understood. A form of governance is if I lend you money and you don't pay it back, I won't do it again. If I'm well-known in my community and somebody comes to me and says you know, um, Bill wants to borrow money, and I'm like, Bill who? And then they tell me who Bill who is, and Bill who is you, and you owe me money, and I say, he still owes me money, and he ain't paid me back yet. Guess what's going to happen? He's not going to loan you money either. Right? He's not going to loan you money either. We have a system of governance, of governance and access to, to credit because you haven't made good on it. Well, then, how does that get fixed? Well, then, maybe Bill figures out, shit, if I ever want to have access to credit in this community again, I better go work my ass off, pay Jack back. Because then, when somebody calls me up and says, Bill's asking for a loan, I can say, he's his accounts are settled. Yeah, he went out and, like, he was scraping gum off of freaking tables at the restaurant Until he paid me back. You're probably gonna take a bet on him. You might mitigate, you might loan him a little less money and let him develop credit with you, but you'll be like, okay, he's he's built it back. But as long as TransUnion puts a number on it, that's the system of governance. And a 750 is good and a 550 is bad, but does it say anything about bill? You have a 750 and maybe you, uh, you've just decided you don't care anymore and you're gonna get as much as you can and then not pay it back. Because that system of governance is flawed. So if we want to replace government, we need to replace the systems of governance with something that we all can agree on makes sense and be voluntary with it. In other words, you might come up with a system of governance and Bill might come up with a system of governance for a particular thing, and I might choose to choose Bill's system over years or years over Bill's. Then we start to actually have a free society. That's the only way we're going to counter this one. Um, next, the system of taxation. Now, you guys know how I feel about this. Taxation is theftation, okay? Right? Taxation is theftation, right? Uh, so, I, I would love to say the solution here is to not pay it. But how many people do you think trust the system of taxation? Not what they do with your money. We already that's what the government does. That's what the elected officials do. So. We have elected officials that get elected in a process we do not trust. Then they take office and conduct business in a manner that we do not trust. And to pay for it, they use taxation that we also do not trust. I think if somebody out there trusts the tax system, let me know. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you trust the tax system itself? How much do you trust the Internal Revenue Service who turns down one group because of their political ideology for, for a nonprofit status, but it gives it to another because of their political ideology? Do you, do you trust that? Right? Do you trust that the tax system is just? Even if it's wrong, is it just? And what I mean by that is if we were all in it together, that... I would pay my fair share of the extortion, and you would pay your fair share of the extortion. Let's say that, I'm, like here would be a just robber. Guy walks in, you and me, right? Just two of us are in there. Robber says, look, I don't need all the money you have. I need half of the money both of you have. Because I, I, I don't want to put you in a poor ass, but I need some money, and I'm going to shoot you if I don't get it. And I had a hundred bucks and you had fifty, and I gave him fifty and you gave him twenty five and he left. Yeah, we're gonna go after him and try to get our money back. Put him in a hole in the ground. That's what he deserves. But that would be a just system. That would be a just system within an unjust situation. We both paid our share in an unfortunate situation. How many of you think the tax system works that way? Dally, Dally says, forgive me, it's negative one hundred. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that These systems are so atrophied, they're so dead, the trust is so gone in them, that when I give you a choice of 1 to 10, with 1 being I don't trust them at all, and 10 being I trust them completely, people literally feel the need to create lower than 1 numbers. Some won't even put a number on it. Jerry says just nope, nope, don't, period. It doesn't exist. I don't have trust in that system. So we probably do need a way, call me crazy, but we probably do need a way to load share on certain things that need to be done in society. Like, I don't think everybody can afford their own private security for their home, even if we paid no taxes, right? But I do think a neighborhood can afford a security service if everybody pays a certain amount, right? And I do think that if John Dowie's like, screw that, I don't need any insurance, I don't need any security, I got my own, we can probably find a way to accommodate him. We probably don't all need to go to his house and say, look, dude, you benefit from, from the fact that we're providing the security. So you need to give us some money. I don't think we have to do that. I think, you know, who's, who knows how we handle it? But I think that, you know, if somebody breaks into John's house, Maybe the security agency doesn't do anything. Maybe he's okay with that risk. Maybe the overall security of the neighborhood's pretty good. But then, you know, John has to interact with everybody else in the neighborhood who knows he's a deadbeat and doesn't pay his damn security bill. Right? That's one example of it. Another example, I think, would be um, if we make our world more secure, then the need for that type of security declines. So when we have a world where people don't have complete lack of trust in all the institutions, we'll probably have less crime. Some people commit crimes, why? Because they're scum. Because they're scum and they think they can get away with it, they a risk reward calculation and say, hey, hey, you know, um, you know li- li- we got a law enforcement here, I didn't have it on the list, but how much do you trust law enforcement right now? As an entity, as an institution. I don't mean the individual cop, you know that's your brother-in-law, I'll give you a pass on that. I'm not one of these ACB people. I'm not. I judge a man by the actions the man takes. But as an institution, I don't trust law enforcement. I mean, we can start with the FBI. I don't trust them. So how can I trust taxation is just when I don't trust the main implements that it's used to pay for? And the answer is I can't. And I think we're reaching a point where the average person does not trust taxation. Even people that think like well the rich need to pay more taxes get your pattern recognition out. Like what what does the rich need to pay more taxes trigger in you? What should it trigger in you? Pattern recognition. Right? You should see that is once again the false dichotomy is used to prop up the dying cancerous institution of taxation. We really are moving to a world if you think about it right now um almost anybody that needs anything tends to go and do what now? Well, what's kind of the first step when something happens? If somebody needs financial assistance to fight a wrong, a GoFundMe type thing. And I know they screw over certain political causes and all, but there's always another, there's always another entity that does that. Have you noticed how many of them actually get fully funded? That when people are actually told, here's this thing that needs to be done... Will you contribute? Nobody comes to their house, puts a gun to their head. They don't even get anything. Right? Like some stuff, like like Kickstarters and all, like, well, I get the, the gizmo. You're going to make the gizmo. I believe in the gizmo. This is a financial, you know, type of situation we were talking about earlier. But I believe in the gizmo. I want the gizmo. I like the gizmo. I want the gizmo to succeed and I know you're going to sell the gizmo for $150, but if I get in your Kickstarter, I can buy one of the, the beta gizmos for $125, right? At least I get the gizmo. With GoFundMes and stuff like that, I don't get anything. I don't get anything. I don't get an NFT. I don't get a certificate of stock or ownership. I don't get a gizmo. I just say, this thing is wrong, and I care. Right there, that tells you intrinsically that we could exist with a system that I will call, for lack of, I don't have a better term for it right now, voluntary taxation. I hate the term because the government calls it voluntary taxation right up until you don't pay it. Then it becomes involuntary and you go to Club Fed or you get garnished for the rest of your life or they seize your assets, right? But we could exist in a system where anything that they thought was a big enough initiative, neighborhood, regional, state, national, global, could be put on a platform and those people that think it's worthy of support could go support it. And the whole tax the rich? Do you know who always makes the biggest contribution? The rich guy. Now I'm using rich like us rich. Like among us, the wealthy among the people listening to this show. The people that are worth a few million to a few tens of millions of dollars. They always pick up the check. They always donate more money. They always back the causes. They always do it first and they always do it more because they have more. And if you believe in something equally, you tend to give proportionally to what you have. Right? This is a natural human innate behavior. And instead of worrying about the psychopaths and the sociopaths who don't feel that way, relax. It's okay. You don't have to worry about the 1%. Funny how that number comes back, right? But that's like the 1%, there's about 1% of people who are true sociopaths. If 99% of people are willing to contribute to the greater good, where and as they see fit, we don't need coercion. But again, that's so much more of a macro solution. Moving on from there, about the energy system. Who trusts the energy system? The oil companies. The company that sends you your electric bill. The gas extraction companies. The people that make the windmills. The people that get paid with your tax dollars to put the windmills up. All of it. All of the energy system. Alternative, new energy, old energy, all of it. As a thing. How many of you trust it? How many of you trust... Even if you think we should be using natural gas. How many of you trust... That the natural gas extraction is done in a manner where the company legitimately does its very best within a technology available to not do environmental harm. How many of you trust that? I'll tell you personally, I don't. I don't. And I'm not a, we're boiling the oceans guy, right? That's not me. But I don't trust Exxon. I don't trust British Petroleum. I don't trust them. I don't trust the giant solar and wind farm people either to be doing their very best for society and for the environment. I don't trust them. What's the solution here, guys? And I don't think I don't think even the uh, the kind of like normies that, that buy into all the, all the fossil fuel, you know, total fear-based the global warming. Kind of, I don't think they trust the industry either, either side of it. I think they want solar and wind and all, but I don't think they trust the industry behind that. By the way, you know, like, the people that are most, spending the most money and doing the most development in alternative energy are the the, the legacy energy companies themselves because they're in the energy business. Exxon's not an oil company. They're an energy company. Standard oil was an oil company. They made the oil standard. That's why they call it standard that's why they called it standard oil. That's John D. Rockefeller. Not good or bad, just that's what Standard Oil was a technology company, to be honest, that dealt in oil, that standardized the oil so all of it was the same when it came out of refinement, so that it could be a fuel and you could dump it in a tank on the side of a train and the train could go across the country instead of some guy shoveling water coal into a steam engine. That's why it transforms society. That was an oil company. The oil companies, the gas companies have evolved into energy companies. They don't give a shit how they produce the energy. If they can produce the energy at a profit and sell it, they're going to do it. If they can do that with the sun, they'll do it. If they can do that with the wind, they'll do it. If they can do it with clean coal, as clean as coal can be, which is still dirty as shit, they'll do it. If they can do it with dirty coal, they'll do it. If they can destroy somebody's farm to do it, they'll do it. If they cannot destroy somebody's farm to do it, they'll do it. They don't care. I think our solution here is in producing as much of our energy as we can locally, both individually and collectively through co-ops. I'm tired of some of you. Honestly, I'm going to lay the smack down on some of you right now. You need to stop it. You need to stop buying into one of the dichotomies. This shit about, you like, there's no such thing as sustainable wind. You're an idiot. I'm sorry, but you are. You're a moron. No, they don't bury all the windmills. Right? You, you take a flaw in first generation wind machines, and then you point it out, and then you make it like it's everywhere. Not every single battery has killed more striped-tailed foofy flus than every gallon of oil. Right? Like There are solutions here. There are tremendous numbers of solutions. But... The problem is the centralized control of the energy. That's the problem. Because no matter how you produce the energy, if they developed a little, like, super nuclear device the size of this gun adapter that I'm holding in front of my hand right now, it's about as big as, like, a a narrow, and slightly longer C battery. If they invented this, okay? They invented this. And I could take this, and I could plug it into a machine, and it went... And a big glowing orb formed around it, and it would run for a thousand years. And if it if it broke, it would just shut off, and nothing bad would happen. And you say, "Oh my God, we have free energy! It's real." Okay, if if each one of these could power a city for a thousand years, how valuable is it? If I hold it and it's the key to powering your city for a thousand years and even when I turn it on your city comes on if I can shut it off how much power do I have you think it's the way we produce the energy that gives them power it's controlling the energy and it's distribution and charging you whatever they want to for it that gives them power So until we actually start to locally produce and individually produce our energy, as much as we will distrust that entity, that one will live longer than all the rest of the ones we're talking about today. It's also the one that has more ways that we can solve it individually than just about any other one of them. What about the education system? Who trusts the public education system? Back to my chart. I can't wait to see the negatives that come up with this one. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being I do not trust it at all, to 10 being I completely trust the, the public education system with the education of my children. How much do you trust the education system? And I'll wait a little bit for the time lag to see those come in, but I bet you those numbers are going to be pretty low. I don't trust it. And I don't think anybody else trusts it either. I don't think anybody else trusts it either. And you think all the people on the left... They love critical race theory. They don't. The average, when I say on the left, I'm not talking about leftists. The average person who lives in Iowa or Illinois or Pennsylvania that works for a living 40 hours a week if they still have a job after COVID destroyed the economy, they don't want their children taught critical race theory. They don't. They voted Democrat their whole life. They still don't want that. And even if they do... They still don't trust the education system. We're back to where what looks like trust is just since it's working for my side right now, I'll support it. We're back to propping it up with a false dichotomy. If you trusted it, you'd trust them when they taught things you disagreed with. If you trusted the education system and they were teaching an ideology that conflicted with your beliefs then you would say it's important that my child be presented with all views of this thing, and you would say, I know it's being done in a fair and balanced way, I know they're teaching the counter thing, and I'm trusting that my child is an intelligent young adult that I am going to help grow up, will choose the one that makes the most sense. That would be trust in the education system. How many of you feel that way about the education system? I'm going to bet none of you do. I absolutely, in the homeschooling of my grandson and my granddaughter, I kind of don't really get involved day-to-day in the curriculum work. I involve myself by saying, what did you learn? What do you think? And then having discussions, especially my grandson, he's older, about life and the way things work out. I absolutely present to him views counter to my beliefs. You know why? I trust me to do that. I trust me to do that. I absolutely trust that I can do that in a way where he'll understand, well, this is what I think, and this is why I think that, and this is what other people think, and this is why they think that, and that he'll understand that I'm giving him his own choice, which he's always going to have anyway. He's always going to have his own choice anyway. The, the idea that if we just control the things that our children are taught, they'll come to the conclusions we want them to come to when they become adults, is one of the dumbest fucking things about the average American person's thought. And that's a big step to reach dumbest fucking level, right? DFL to reach DFL. You got to be really pushing it to be at the DFL level of the average American today. But the average American still believes that that's why this system still works propped up by a false dichotomy because the people that are like trying to fix the education system and what they mean is get these things out of our schools CRT and all this other get it out of there and teach reading, writing, arithmetic. They most of those people, if they said, Hey, you know what, we want to bring back a fifteen minutes of prayer in in school today, they wouldn't have a problem with that. Because it's their thing. True education is about here is a thing. Let's examine the thing. Let's understand the nature of the thing. Let's understand how the thing came to be. And then what should be done or not done with the thing. And an understanding that a lot of those are concrete and material. The thing I'm holding up, for those that can't see, is an aluminum can. It was made with aluminum. There's a process to make an aluminum can. There's some sparkly water in it with a little bit of orange flavoring. No sugar, right? It's a thing. We We can understand it from an elemental, a mechanistic, a technical level what it is. What should be done with it, what shouldn't be done with it. You probably shouldn't shake it up like I'm doing right now. But maybe you should if you want to hand it to somebody and don't worry, I'm not going to open it now, right? And watch them get it all over their face. Is that nice or is that mean? Right? These, these things are all opinions. Now, I think most of us would come to a preponderance of the others. You probably shouldn't do that. And give it to somebody unaware. But since it's just water and it's not sticky sugar, it will do less damage. So it's less bad than doing it with a Coca Cola or a Pepsi, right? But that, that's education. How many of you trust That the system of education today does that with everything they teach your child. I don't see anybody saying that they believe that they do. No one. Good. That means you're awake. I think we need a way to educate our children beyond everybody should just homeschool. I think that is the best individual action that's available to you right now. But I think we need to be building systems of education at a regional level that are outside their systems. And we need to be making them affordable, and we need to make them scalable. And I think it can be as simple as, talk to everybody in your neighborhood. Have you considered homeschooling? I have. I'd like to. I can't figure out how. Great. This whole idea, you know what we should do? We should all get together and pool our money and hire a teacher. Oh, you want to hire a teacher trained by the system that you're trying to take your kid out of. Hello, McFly, wake up. Why do you want to bring that system into your homes? Why? Well, teachers are good people. Good people doing a job that they've been trained to do poorly. I'm sorry, they have. They have. You find a curriculum that works, you see to it yourself, and you let your children self-direct through that, You don't need a teacher. You need to make you need somebody to make sure the kids don't fight and don't stab themselves in the face with a pencil with no one there to fix it. You need a babysitter and somebody with enough intelligence to give a little bit of guidance when necessary to get kids through it. You know what that's called? A parent. Parent. So if you could find even ten parents who wanted to do this, average of like one and a half kids a piece, right? So you have about fifteen kids. It's very conceivable that you could load share that and each parent sees to that duty one day every other week. Because you know what it costs to pay a teacher? Oh, they're so poorly paid. No, they're not. No, they're not. A teacher making 45 grand a year costs about $80,000 a year to employ. When you look at the full cost of employing that teacher. To by the way, work less than six months a year. It's very expensive to pay a teacher. And if you figure out what it's going to cost 10 families to pay one teacher enough money to walk away from a teaching job and live this equivalent lifestyle they live today, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. But everybody can afford one day every other week. Everybody can negotiate something with their employer to be able to do that, especially now. That would be another way to do that. It's a homeschool co-op. That's what, what, what Beef Stewart's calling it, homeschooled co-op. And it is. But it's not a homeschool co-op that exists to throw money into a pool to solve the problem. No, what it is, it's about people working together to see to the needs of the, the common education of their children. And think about the value to the child. A different adult to work with and interact with in the same group of children and multi generational children. Instead of all the kindergartners are here, the first graders are here, the second graders are here. That's why all the freaking bullying happens in school, guys. We put like five grades in one school and then we're shocked the big kids pick on the little kids. When it's a big group of big kids and a big group of little kids, gee, that's hard to see coming. Small group of kids, different ages, all the kids working together. The one school, one room schoolhouse returns to America in a million locations. We could do that tomorrow if we wanted to. And as soon, you know what? There's, there's a, we're in a point right now with labor shortage, where at least 75% of people that have a job they have to go into, if they said, I need to work three weeks a month, five days a week, and one week a month, four days a week, and I need to do that, or I need to find another job, their employer is going to find a way to accommodate it. And the more common it becomes, the more it's going to be a requirement that employers accommodate it. And all of a sudden, the problem that can't be solved can be solved. That's just one way to do it, by the way. Um, Let's let's, let's kill it there. I was going to go into land ownership and real estate, but we'll we'll save that for another day. I think you see the pattern. I think you see the pattern. I want to kind of wrap up now. I I, I do want to know, though, what else can you think of that's dead and or dying? Are there other places like this where... The institution or the organization or the system itself has has no real trust left from society. Is there anything else you can think of? And, and what can we do about it? And again, remember, these entities are not actually dying, in my opinion. They're dead. They're dead. And the reason I say they're dead is if the trust is the court system. VR says, Tom says, Realtors... And uh, VR says courts. And Jerry says HOAs. <laughs> JL says ma- Major League Baseball. Uh, <laughs> I think these sporting entities that have lost a lot of faith as well. U.S. foreign policy, uh, vehicle manufacturers, tons of stuff coming in now. What's propping all this up, though, it's like life support for the dead. You see, there's two kinds of life support. There's This person is alive, but without the life support, they'll die. But this person, if we support their breathing and their heartbeat and their, you know, their nutrition for a time, they could recover. That's one type of life support. The other type of life support is this guy's dead. For all intents and purposes, he's dead. If we unplug him, he's going to be gone in seconds, not minutes, not hours, seconds. This guy's dead, and we want his family to be able to come say goodbye and have some sort of solace that they did, even though they didn't. So we are going to mechanically pump his heart and move his respiration, right, for the next 48 hours before we turn the machine off, but all we're doing is keeping his body from decomposing, that kind of life support. Most of these systems that we're talking about today and the systems that you guys came up with here, Corporate churches. I think churches in general have a, have a big lack of faith and trust anymore. In in the institution supposed to garner faith and trust, um, they're completely dead. They're on that the, the tribalism that's being used to prop them up. The basic way that we convince people you need government in the first place. Without government, warlords would take over. Oh, what would they do? Take away 40% of our income, build a giant military police apparatus to uh, enforce our will around the world and tell us how we had to behave and thump us over the head if we didn't do it? Is that what the worldlords would do? Because that's like a lot of what we have, right? But uh, God, it could be worse. It could be Somalia, right? Like that mindset, that mindset is though Somalia's problems aren't... Are really unique to its system of government versus its culture and its place in the world and its lack of resources and all the abuses heaped upon it by the rest of the world. That's that's not the problem. No, it's just if they had, if they tomorrow set up a government like we have, all their problems would just go away, right? It'd be just at least as good as America. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Like that's the problem. This false dichotomy makes you feel if I don't fight for my side, as bad as it is, the other side will take over and It will be worse. Whereas what all of these entities need is our attention, our focus, our time, our participation, and our faith. We already gave up our faith. Everybody that was part of this live stream today, everybody that commented anyway. I didn't have a single person here. We're up to 150 participants just on YouTube alone right now. Not one person said, you're wrong, Jack. I do trust them. So the faith is dead. If the faith is dead, the entity's dead. It's a solemn pragmatism that keeps them alive. Hey, I gotta gotta work with what I have. And I understand we all do it to a degree. But if we're not proactively building alternatives, if we're not front-running the failure, you have to understand that it is life support. It will die. That's what the Great Reset is all about. You think the people in power do not know That their institutions are not dying. They're already dead. The ship Will Robinson has already gone over the event horizon. It's being stretched out like a string. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not happening. You don't think they know this. So they have their plan for their glorious new solution to the problems that they've brought us for centuries. If you want the arsonist in charge of the fire safety program, that's what you're going to get. Or, we choose no. We choose to say, since I don't have faith in you, you don't get the other things. Time, talent, money, participation, attention. We become proactively apathetic. You go into business with somebody, write your own agreement design it to use private arbitration. Stay out of the court system. Don't have to trust the court system if I don't need the court system. You see how that works? Well, they might accuse you of something you end up... I I get that. But wherever you have the choice, design the relationship so the court system is the last place that either of you ever wish to be. It's your last resort rather than your first recourse, and you'll probably never get there. I've been through private arbitration, full-on private arbitration, three times in my life. And it always worked out better than going to the courts. And those were in business interactions. And it was always non binding. And all three times, both sides agreed to the non binding arbitrator suggestions. Because when we took somebody that was outside of it, read the contract, and said, hey guys, it was basically like having a lawyer that wasn't on either side look at the contract. And say, this is how this is interpreted. This is What did you mean? What did you mean? Do you understand each other? Can you give a little here? Can you give a little there? And if you don't do what I say, here's what's probably going to happen. You know what? Neither one of us wants that. Yeah, this makes sense. Because you entered into the agreement in the first place. You probably wanted it to work out. That's how we start to solve all this. In the end, though, every single answer is some form of decentralization. Because what did we start this discussion on? Jerry Pornell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy. The only way to break the Iron Law of Bureaucracy is to not have a bureaucracy. As soon as you centralize, you have a bureaucracy. As soon as you centralize, you have a bureaucracy. I remember one time when I worked for Fluke Networks, we discussed going from a manufacturer's rep model to a direct employee model. So there were four regional managers. Each regional manager managed a group of manufacturer's representatives in their particular region. I had Virginia to Maine and over to Ohio, for example. And then I had like five manufacturer's rep organizations there. Like the Western PA one was pretty small. It was like two guys. New York City one had like 13. But they repped other manufacturer's lines. So it was like we can get more mind share and 100% focus and whatever. And we went through all this crap. And, you know, there's four regionals and we're sitting there like, well, what's our job going to be? Am I going to be regulated to demo dummy? Am I going to become a direct sales guy? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, we still need somebody to organize this, this, this thing and to be responsible for the region as a whole. So you'd stay in place. So I'd stay in place and have a direct sales force. Yeah. Okay. We're back to bureaucracy. Because it, why? Because I was centralizing the region. And they were centralizing the nation and then further centralizing the global sales force. As soon as you centralize, you have bureaucracy. And in that company, which was a completely private organization, it was still the case that the people that knew the least had the most control. How many have ever worked for a corporation like that? Big corporation. The people with the most power have the least knowledge of what actually goes on with the customer. What actually goes on against the competitor? What actually the, 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 was going on on the ground? What it actually took to win a contract? Ah, oh, you don't need to discount that deal. Okay, well, we're going to lose it. No. Yes. Yes, we are. How do you? Because I talked to the fucking guy who's got the purchase order in his hand and he told me he's going to put your name on it or my competitor's name on it if we don't meet their offer. That's why. Well, we don't do that. Okay? And then a week later, why didn't we get that deal? Because you're fucking stupid. Because if you wanted the deal, that's what it took to get it. If you didn't want the deal, if you didn't feel it was justified and you, was, you were okay walking away from it, then you should have done what you did. But you didn't believe me because you thought you knew better, because you're a bureaucrat. Every single organization large enough to centralize enough power will succumb to that disease. So every solution has to be decentralized. Every solution has to be centralized, decentralized. And any way that you start to sort of create greater power by larger bodies has to be a federation. It can't be a central control mechanism. It has to be, we voluntarily work together for these things and when it doesn't work out, we don't and everybody's okay with it. And that's why all the solutions we come up with are that. But I'm going to tell you right now, the time is now. We're already in the middle of this collapse. This whole thing about one day, it's all going to fall apart. Bullshit. It's falling apart now. You can feel it. You can feel it. You can wake up in the best mood in the world. But if you are are at all in touch with what you are as a being and your, your, your larger sensory capabilities, you can walk outside in a peaceful place without turning the news on, without having any specific thing in your mind. And if you're in tune at all, you can feel it. Because it's a natural thing in civilizations. Every civilization that's ever existed has followed this pattern over and over and over. It's called different things. Some will call it a fourth turning. I think that's just one pattern within the larger macro that you can see. And that doesn't mean the next time it happens it'll be that very clearly defined short period of time forth turning. It could be something much more macro, much larger, much more long term, much more transformative, much less transformative. It could it could involve war, it may not involve war. You don't know. The new wars may not like be like the old wars. They might not involve weapons and bloodshed directly, but more indirectly. But whatever it is, it's here. It's now. We're not gonna turn away from it. We're not going to forget it. One of the things I said in this, this uh, Duck Farmer Contemplations little micro blog I do on Float now was that when you have a thought, it actually creates mass. It's a f- infinitesimally tiny amount of mass that a thought creates. We know this through the study of something called noetic sciences. But when you get a million people, or a hundred million people, or a billion people, or 5 billion people, to have a thought of a common fear on the same day. It's a lot of mass. It creates gravity. It creates gravity in a different way than we're used to defining. And it starts to actually move society in the direction of that fear or of that intention, good or bad. And if you can get them to do it day after day after day after day, you can create a society where a large number of people are willing to cover their face... To go out in public and willing to allow atrocities on their fellow man. Because of that mindfulness or that lack of mindfulness in their thoughts. That's a real thing. That's what you feel. And you have three choices. Go along with it. It's the worst choice. Directly fight it. Which is almost just as bad. Because the gravity and the mass that's being created is so great as to be a millstone. Big enough to grind a house. And you're trying to push it back like some little mouse. Or to step out of the channel that the millstone's running in. And develop your own solutions. And do it in a way that other people can see and participate in. We've been talking about doing that since Survival Podcast started. I know today went long. I thank you, man. I can't believe how many people stayed with me. Like, the number of people watching this has gone up during this. So it must be good stuff, guys. We've been teaching this from the beginning. And I've said, I said all the way back, I believe the first time I said this would have been around 2011 or 2012. For the first time in history, people have started to rebuild before the collapse. Does anybody here remember me saying that on the podcast over the years? This is the first time in history people have truly begun to rebuild prior to the collapse. Well, thank God. I would have loved to have like 40 years of overlap with the collapse. We only have a little bit. A little piece. But we have that. All of this is simple. None of it's easy. But all of this is dramatically simple. In the words of Bill Mollison, that while the the problems of the world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. Don't worry about the other people who will not implement the solutions. You implement. Be that shining light. The words of Richard Bach, like will attract like. You will find allies, work with them, and keep building. Thank you to everyone who attended today in the live stream. I will catch up with you tomorrow. Remember, Kingsley Edwards will be on. If you have questions for Kingsley about the float platform, send them to me, jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com, T-S-P-C Kingsley in the subject line, and get them to me as soon as possible so that I can get them ready for tomorrow's uh, interview. Take care, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. I know it went long, but I think one of the cool things about doing a live stream is that when you see the number of attendees continuously going up, you know you're hitting it right. And when you see the number dwindling, you know you're falling off. So the number continuously went up in that one. And so I hope that you guys stuck with me through it. If you did, thanks a lot. I think there are a lot of takeaways from today's episode. And this is one of those episodes that I don't think I really knew how deep I was going to go when I got into it. And I would say this to anybody listening to this. If it seems overwhelming, like we've got to do all these things. You do not have to do all these things. Pick one, two, three, or four that fit your life. Do those. That's enough to carry. That's enough of a contribution. If we all do that, we can truly shape the rebuilding once these cancerous institutions finally accept the fact that they're not dying. When the trust is gone, and I think we established today that it is, They're already dead. With that, if you like the show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I really enjoy cooking my own food. It's one of the life skills that I think makes my life a little bit better. It certainly saves me money. It improves my quality of life. It lets me eat at a level that I couldn't afford to otherwise by becoming a great cook. And one of my favorite ways to cook that I've discovered in the past few years is sous vide cooking. And the best circulator, which is the little machine that circulates the water that sets the temperature, that I have found is made by a company called ANOVA, A-N-O-V-A. They're not the cheapest. In fact, they're kind of the most expensive, but both of their models are on sale right now. Uh, their highest-end model, it networks into your computer network. You can turn it on and change the temperature while you're at work so the food's ready when you get home, all that kind of good stuff. It's on sale for, I think, $139. It's normally like $200. And the Nano version is on sale for like $90. It's normally like $120. So the Nano version, you just turn it on and you hit the button and it goes, or you can use the app to control it in Bluetooth range, right? So honestly, for most people, you don't need to spend more money. You can get the nano version. It's, it, it's going to do most of what you do. But read the write-up on it. Consider getting involved with sous vide. And if you read the write-up, you'll see there's a ton of things sous vide circulators can do for you beyond just making the best steak that you'll ever eat. Uh, how about making yogurt, making cheese, egg bites, boiling eggs, making creme brulee when you want to spoil yourself a little bit and more? You can learn all about it in the write-up today. You can find it at the Survival Podcast and always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, I will wrap up today. Thanks for tuning in. Remember what I said, really. No one need do all the solutions that I mentioned today but picking and choosing a little piece for each problem and implementing it that your life slowly over time even if you don't change the world for others the power that you really have and the only power that you really have is to choose to change the world for yourself and for your family
0: they pull yourself up they keep bringing you down are they gonna bail you out